Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. I always call Drilling Deep the place where we talk about oil and diesel, but I'm sick of the word place. So I'm going to describe it this week as the intellectual refuge here at Freight Waves, where we talk about oil, which is drilled from the ground, and diesel, which is made from that oil. We're always happy to have Amit Mahotra of Deutsche Bank as a guest, and he's going to join us in a few minutes to talk about the recently completed earnings season. We talked a lot on early edition, earlier editions of Drilling Deep about jet fuel this year, not really this year, really in 2020. And what we said was that jet and diesel are both distillates. You get a basic distillate molecule out of the refinery, and you can then further process it to make diesel. You can further process it to make jet fuel, and you can further process it to make heating oil. Through much of 2020, refiners didn't want to make jet fuel because of the collapse in demand for that product coming out of the pandemic when nobody was flying. So they made a lot of diesel instead, and by the summer, diesel stocks were at record levels. Statistics from the Department of Energy do not break out heating oil stocks separately from diesel, though they do break out jet stocks. But you can be assured that right now, with this cold weather that's gripping a lot of the country, including the Northeast, refiners are doing whatever they can to make a heating oil, to make heating oil as much as they can to deal with this fairly late season surge of cold air into the Midwest, but more importantly, into the Northeast. Most of the U.S. is heated by natural gas or it's heated by propane in rural areas. Heating oil is a a distinctly northeastern U.S. product. I live in the northeast. I have it. I don't like oil because I wish I had a natural gas line running down my street that I could tap into, but unfortunately, I don't. So it really looked like that cold snap was going to send heating oil and diesel prices higher than the increases in the price of crude. Remember, the price of diesel will ultimately be set mostly by the price of crude, but you can still have a situation where diesel gets very strong or very weak relative to crude. With the cold snap, there was the real possibility that you'd see diesel starting to move at a much stronger rate than crude because heating oil would drag it up. It does look like that is happening in the physical markets. For example, the national average wholesale diesel price that you can find in Sonar under the ULSDR.USA data stream. It rose 5.4 cents from Monday through Thursday. Thursday is the day I'm taping this. While the commodity price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME, which reflects a March contract, that only moved up about a quarter of a cent. And retail prices did something similar. That's a sign that after 14 weeks of consecutive increases, In the weekly DOE EIA retail diesel price that's used for fuel surcharges, there's a good chance that next week is going to make it 15. That's a record. Even if the commodity market continues to stay steady like it's done so far this week, there's clearly strength in the physical markets as evidenced by those two numbers I just spelled out, and cold air certainly has something to do with that. For those who say diesel always increases during winter because of the cold weather, that is not true. There can be plenty of times when the inventories of heating oil are more than adequate to meet demand. What's unique here is that we're getting this really cold air relatively late in the winter season. It might not seem late on the calendar, but to the oil market, this is kind of late. By now, the heating oil season is generally over in the sense that the uh, ultra-low sulfur diesel price on CME, which is a proxy for heating oil, that's a month ahead. So it's trading for March barrels. And March is warmer than February, obviously. And the inventories needed to get through the winter, they were laid in months ago. The fact is that the most recent weekly report from the EIA showed a pretty big drop in distillate inventories. So things are getting a bit tight out there. Those distillate inventories do include heating oil. With cold air in control for probably the next 10 days to two weeks, 
It's going to be seen in physical diesel markets, and that means continued strength at the pump. We're going to shift gears now. We're always happy to be joined at the end of quarterly earnings a couple of times a year by Amit Mahotra of Deutsche Bank. He's always got great perspective. Earnings season is pretty much over as we speak. There are a few little laggers out there uh, that still haven't reported, but the bulk of them have. So, Amit, welcome to Drilling Deep. Thanks, John. Good to be with you again. So let's start by talking about a company that doesn't always get a lot of attention, but they had a bang-up quarter, and that's Warner. Their OR was just really for a truckload company, getting down toward LTL-type levels. You described their margin in one of your reports as astonishingly strong. How did they get to that level? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because on the earnings call, when I was talking to Derek Leathers and John Steele, I said the margins were actually eye-watering. They were that good in terms of um, a close to 20% operating margin in their trucking segment when 60% of the assets are geared to the dedicated market is just unbelievable. And and uh, and, and and they should get 100% marks in A++ for the execution that they were able to d- deliver on that quarter. Um, I, I just think, I think it represents two things. One is, I think Derek Leathers um, is a very talented uh, operational executive. And I think he's been focused on how to squeeze as much value out of every incremental revenue dollar that comes into the company. And that that that's from two perspectives. One is it's from a pricing perspective to make sure that Werner's getting compensated for the capacity that they're providing in an, in an appropriate way. And two, it's about maintaining cost discipline while revenues and, the, and pricing are growing. So I think the combination of a strong pricing environment and a strong execution on the cost side allowed the company to report those types of margins. And importantly, it appears that that will continue because Werner has raised their long-term margin target and, and, and they expect to be significantly above that long-term margin target in 2021. So I think it's a, it's a really, this is a new Werner. Werner was always a high quality company and they've just uh, kind of shot up into the highest of high qualities, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, because you talk about high prices, high freight rates. Everybody has that. Anybody in the business is exposed to that. So really, the one thing that you can do a lot, a lot of have a lot of impact are your costs. So, what did earnings reports in general tell you about compensation? It looks like the ones that I looked at. It seemed for you know for all the talk about higher driver pay and just uh, more expensive labor, it seemed like a lot of companies really did keep their compensation in check. Yeah, that's very true. I, I think we haven't seen the full story on that yet. I think that, you know, the major big, big truck public trucking companies um, have yet to uh, implement the type of, uh, you know, large scale um, uh, pricing increases that some maybe some smaller players in the industry have had to do. And I think that will come. So I think when you look at Werner or companies like Knight, you know, wage inflation will be uh, an issue in 2021. The the good news is I think that will be you know well more than offset by pricing opportunities and the demand environment is so strong that these companies have um, you know have incredible freight selection opportunities. So the combination of freight selection, which is asset utilization and asset you know uh, network optimization combined with the pricing, will far exceed the wage inflation pressure that I think all companies will see in 21 that will continue allow these companies to continue to expand margins. Was there any sign that a lot of companies uh, dumped their 
some of their labor costs into the purchase transportation pool. I mean, there you got to pay high rates there as well. But whereas maybe the if the, the the salaries and wages line on a on a budget not a budget report on an earnings report might have kept in check. Did you see any big jumps in purchase transportation? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a really good point, especially in the less than truckload industry, where a lot of companies utilize third party truckload capacity for line haul. Um, you know, for example, Saya. Uh, uh, a pretty a non-unionized LTL company saw a noticeable bump from seven and a half percent to nine and a half percent of revenues in terms of purchase transportation costs. Even Old Dominion, um, you know, their purchase transportation costs were on the high end of how uh, you know as they usually are. And XPO just reported results today, and purchase transportation costs as a percentage of revenue came down year over year, but was still in the high nine percentage range. So I think I I, I think that that's a function of two things. One is you know, lack of driver availability, which is impacting their own ability to utilize their own assets. And then the other thing is, is that their their assets are also being fully utilized. And so there is a need for capacity. There's there's more demand than capacity. And so carriers are using all options on the table to deliver on their commitments, which includes third-party transportation. Yeah, so next question I had, I think you kind of answered, which was when does compensation start squeezing the bottom line? I, I think really what you're saying is that um, it's not over yet. <laughs> you got you got some costs to come. Well, my guess is my guess is is that you know 2021 will represent the peak margins for trucking companies, um, you know, possibly ever. Um, you know, the, the the pricing for trucking capacity is uh, at all time high, as we know. The freight selection opportunities, meaning the demand capacity imbalance brought on partly and largely by COVID maybe is 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 unprecedentedly high. And 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 so you have two key levers of, of profitability for trucking companies that are that are completely green lights right now. The question will be is that, you know, there's still between 40 to 50,000 trucks being ordered over the last three, four months. That capacity will come online towards the end of this year and into 2022. So the question really is, is that how will margins and, and business fundamentals for trucking companies evolve as you move beyond 21 to 22? And I think that that's being debated pretty hotly right now in the market. Yeah, you know, you you, you talk about the freight selection being so high. This uh, friend of mine, this woman wrote on Facebook about how COVID-19 has made us think about, you know, more important things. And we don't really care about our material things as much anymore. And I'm thinking the freight market is indicating we care very much about material things because <laughs> we're shipping a lot of them. So, um, so let me ask. Um, John, John, if I could yeah. interrupt for a second there and just say that, you know, that phenomenon is going to accelerate, in our opinion, over the next six months. You know, the, 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 uh, the Biden administration is proposing a $1.9 trillion a stimulus bill uh, checks into into Americans' hands. Uh, a child credit, with, which is quite significant, um, and 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 the, and the income cap on that is relatively high. So I think that you know um, we've really seen nothing yet, to be quite honest, in terms of in terms of the the the, the stimulus effect on 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 demand. And the other thing I'll just say is is that you know most of the listeners on this on this radio broadcast or podcast. Um, you know, think about what your house values have done over the last 12 months. It's a very rare recession when the balance sheets of the consumer as it relates to the housing values have increased 
And that's allowing people to cash out some money from refinancings, not nearly the level of 2006. So it doesn't get me worried, but there's some stimulative effects going on there. And people just feel better when their housing values are higher and they spend more. So I, I'm, I'm quite optimistic, as we said in our Outlook report um, back in November, that the there's going to be a pent up demand release around the middle of this year that is going to surprise people to the upside. Interesting. So now you talked about the, the, the new truck orders being at really high levels. And then the question is, do you have enough drivers to seat them, to get seated in those trucks? Uh, there have been a lot of talk out there about how much the clearinghouse, the alcohol and drug clearinghouse, is squeezing the number of drivers out there. At the same time, I know that there's one analyst, uh, another company, who told me once he looks at the Landstar BCO numbers every quarter. He thinks that that's a great uh a great proxy for uh, capacity mm-hmm. for a number of drivers out there. Those numbers were both up, you know, the, the, the BCO numbers were up pretty strongly mm-hmm. in the quarter. Are there enough drivers out there to put in all those trucks? Um, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a very big percentage of capacity that's attributable to independent owner operators. So the driver dynamic or the driver uh, dilemma, if you will, uh, comes into play when you own fleets and you have to hire drivers. In that case, that's a very difficult thing right now. Um, you know, the, the big public trucking companies are not really increasing the utilization of their assets, meaning miles per truck per week, predominantly because of the driver uh, shortage that's been exacerbated by COVID. And, and so I think there's some real barriers to entry on that front. I think insurance premiums are rising. Um, but at the same time, they're not enough, in my opinion, to uh, eliminate new orders or eliminate new capacity. It just raises the barrier a little bit. And so the last, you know, back in um, November and December, we saw orders above 50,000 per month, which is a huge number. I mean, second and third highest in history. And it was encouraging to see January tick down about 20% to the low 40,000 level, despite this raging uh, spot market. And it tells you that, um, you know, that was a really encouraging sign, in my opinion. And it tells you that the lack of driver availability is impacting people's ability to grow fleets and order new trucks. Now, you cover the rails as well. Because of the high freight rates, did you see any signs of uh, shifting off the roads and not to intermodal? Well, clearly, um, you know, rail carloads in general have inflected into positive territory this year. Uh, You know, the 100 percent of that is attributable to intermodal. Um, And so so, yes, you know, you have to look at it on a lane by lane basis. But generally speaking, the expensive, the high truck numbers, uh, uh, truck spot rates, excuse me, is definitely pushing volumes more into intermodal. The other thing I would say is, you know, obviously you probably noted the diesel prices have started ticking up. Uh, in fact, last week was the was the biggest increase in diesel prices week on week in I think a, a year and a half or something like that. Um, and, and we're still down year over year. So I don't want to make too big of a deal about it. But when, you know, when you plot intermodal volumes against diesel prices, it's something like an 80% correlation. So I'd expect that to allow intermodal volumes continue to grow as well. What did you hear on the calls uh, about contract pricing? Most of the calls that I sat in, I'd say, you know, either side of 10% uh, in 2021. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I think um, you know, everybody's commentary up until now is sort of low double digit contract price increases. Um, we're a little bit skeptical at Deutsche Bank about companies' ability to achieve that type of um, level on a sustained basis over the course of this year. Our guess would be 
on a blended basis, contract rates end up somewhere in the you know five to six percent up range. But when you combine that with an ability to really maximize the efficiency of your network via free freight selection opportunities, that's going to allow these companies to to achieve high single digit revenue per, per per mile increases or yield increases. And that's a very positive development. So we focus a lot about con- on contract rates at an industry. I understand that. But how it translates to overall revenue per mile or yield is actually more important when assessing the financial outlook for these companies. And we think high single digits is a very good number and actually what it's going to come down to. All right, let's talk about the biggest story in trucking over the last couple of months. I think and it's you don't even have to go back a month to see this. And that, of course, is the sale of UPS Freight to TFI. Mm. And what can TFI do to make a go of this where UPS couldn't? You know, looking back, were there mistakes by UPS or are they just making the right strategic move to focus in on their core business and not have to worry about this? Which, which is not I mean, I don't know if there's been a lot of synergies in the you know in UPS freight with the rest of the business, are they better off just getting rid of this? And how optimistic are you of that TFI is going to be able to do this? I mean, they talk about a company with a lot on its plate. Yeah, I mean, so you know, we were surprised by the announcement. I think everybody was, um, but you know, we were a little bit disappointed in terms of the price that UPS got. I mean, let's be clear. Uh, the UPS story is dominated by its small partial, its partial business, and really its ground residential margin trajectory. That's what, so. So LTL, I mean, UPS is a was a was I would argue a subscale LTL company, maybe number six or seven in the country, um, and 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 unionized, and uh, you know did a couple things. One is did not invest, in my opinion, or in our opinion, I should say. Uh, appropriately in the business. And as we've seen among other unionized LTLs, when you don't invest in the fleet, you are really at a competitive disadvantage from a service and maintenance cost perspective. And so I think that, you know, um, break-even operating margins roughly uh, kind of tells you that uh, that business had a lot of opportunity but wasn't being captured at UPS. And frankly, UPS probably had much bigger fish to fry in terms of fixing the parcel business and focusing on that. So I understand why they want to sell it. I, I would have liked them to get a little bit more than $800 million. And of course, you've seen TFI's equity value go up by 40, 50% since that deal. Typically, when one public company sells something to another public company and the buyer equity value goes up by 40, 50%. It's a little bit of a transfer of value. Now, TFI has got to reinvest in the business. They've got to deal with the union. They have a history of that. They have an experience in that. And so I'm optimistic. The market seems to want to give them credit for for this transformation that they're going to drive. I have no reason to think that they can't drive it. uh, But I do think UPS gave it away for a relatively small amount of money. Are there synergies of TFI between this now new LTL division and anything else they have? Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, there are for sure. I mean, generally speaking, uh, people might not think about this, but, you know, one of the biggest cost items for an LTL company is purchase transportation costs, third party truckload capacity for line haul. So if you're an LTL company with an in-house TL company, you could actually quite get efficient about it. And Old Dominion will say having line haul in-house provides them with a cost advantage as well as a service advantage and a quality advantage which they can price for. And if you're a TL company and you've got LTL in-house, you then have potential freight flows 
that are counter seasonal to your typical retail January, February slump. So I think there are some synergies, obviously, um, you know, uh, TFI are great operators and great integrators. I mean, they've made an incredible amount of acquisitions since the 1980s. And so I think I think there's something there. And obviously, like I said, the market the market believes them. They're giving them the benefit of the doubt of a transformation. And I think their track record you know, deserves that. All right, well, let's talk about LTL a little more. I'm going to read something I'm quoting from one of your reports. I think this was about SIA, but really it kind of goes to the whole LTL industry. He said the LTL industry as a whole and SIA more specifically offer earnings streams that are more resilient than market participants previously perceived. We note, for example, that SIA grew EBIT by 18% year on year in 20 against revenue growth of just 2%. So it's a great story in LTL right now. But of course, whenever that happens, inevitably the investment comes in and you get more capacity. So Old Dominion opened up nine new centers last year. They're going to probably open up nine this year. SIA, of course, has been growing like crazy. They've got a big Northeast expansion. Now you've got TFI with all of its capital, uh, go, probably going to put a lot more money into UPS and uh, Forward Air, which had really kind of a airport to airport sort of quasi LTL business is talking about investing in a more traditional LTL business. Is this an industry with great margins that could be under pressure just from so much investment in it? I don't think so. I, I think if you if you look, you're, you're absolutely right that capital intensity is increasing in the industry. Like if you just take SIA, for example, you know, their capital intensity as a, you know, CapEx as a percentage of sales will increase maybe 100 basis points as you go from 20 to 21. And they're seeing maybe 10, 11% increase in their depreciation and expense items as a result of that increase in capacity. But I think the real story here related to margins is about pricing. And so, you know, not just in LTL, but any business, if you're able to price consistently above your inflation or cost inflation, then theoretically your margin should be able to expand. And I think what the LTLs have shown uh, as an industry as a whole is incredibly good pricing discipline, both um, on purpose in terms of not revisiting the the, the, the era of 2009-10 when you had a pricing war that was led by FedEx and Conway, um, but but um, but also um, through technology, and I think I think that you know for for a long time the majority of the industry, at least the big public guys, have operated like with technology stack that's based on you know technology from the '80s, and they're really investing in 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 pricing tools to get a lot of visibility on pricing, whether they can take dynamic steps, particularly on their 3PL business where they can dial up pricing, you know, if they feel the need to do that. And then also they're, 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 they're implementing technology to make their operations much more efficient from a labor perspective. And, you know, it's, it, let's not forget, you know, 50% of the cost structure of an LTL company is labor. And it's, you know, the majority, you know, the majority of that is productive labor, which is hourly labor. So your ability to match labor with the ebbs and flows of freight flows over uh, a period is going to be critical. I just think companies like SIA and XPO are doing a way better job of that than they have in the past. And of course, Old Dominion has always done a good job of that, and they'll continue to do that as well. All right, let's final question. We could talk all day, but we're going to run out of time here. So let's go back to the truckload business and how stocks are performing. Uh, what's really struck me in my few years covering trucking is that uh, truckload stocks are very much a bellwether on the way up and on the way down. They tend to go up before anything else does and tend to come down. And the rally over the past month or two, I think truckload stocks have mostly skipped it. 
Um, I'm reading again from one of your reports. Truckload stocks are particularly vulnerable near term to positioning, which is what we think largely explains today's underperformance. I forget what company you were talking about in that particular. I think, might, I think it might have been Nice Swift. But in general, uh, is, is the air out of the, the tires of the truckload industry in terms of a stock run? Did it just get ahead of everybody else? And now it's, uh, now it's kind of flat to, to not particularly interesting. Well, there, there's a debate going on right now in the marketplace. I mean, and, and there are valid arguments on both sides. But the, 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 the premise is this, OK, you know, stock prices are the product of earnings and multiples. And, 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 and really, you know, the debate in truckload is what's the right multiple to put on an earnings stream for a truckload company that is inherently cyclical. And so, for example, you know, um, we were just talking about LTL. The, the, the fact is LTL earnings are incredibly resilient. They don't go down a lot. They go up a lot, but they don't go down a lot. And, and that's exhibited over the last two recessionary cycles. And that's because uh, LTL companies are price makers, not price takers. They have pricing power. Truckload companies don't have really any pricing power. They're they're vulnerable to the cyclicality of their revenue. And a lot of that drops to disproportionately to their earnings. So I think the market's having a debate about the fact that, okay, 2021 represents peak margins, peak earnings for these companies. What do I want to capitalize that at if I know 2022 or 2023 will be down years. And and, and our opinion on this is, is that, um, yes, the earnings are inherently cyclical, but they are higher cycle over cycle. It, it, it is more that is a very that is a very positive thing intrinsically and where we think there's some dislocation in the marketplace. So we are optimistic on night. We're optimistic on Warner. I think it's just going to take time for the market to view these companies in, in, in a little bit of a better light in terms of earnings growth cycle over cycle. But that dislocation is an opportunity um, and, and why we, we tend to focus on it. And by the way, I think investors are, are waking up to this. I spend a lot, you know, my job, all I do all day is talk to the world's smartest investors. And, and I'll tell you over the last couple months, um, uh, the, the, the level of discussions I've been having on night have increased dramatically as people are searching for stories and, and companies that have increased margin of safety in, in an overall market that seems overly extended to a lot of people. Yeah, I want to go back to your earlier point about contrasting truckload with uh, LTL. I looked at some quick numbers before I did the interview. Since 2017, Schneider's stock price has basically been flat. Since 2009, Werner doubled but the S&P 500 is up about four times over that period. And meanwhile, from about 2009, 2010, Arc Best went from, I found a low price at around 785 and recently about 5529. So, yeah, John, that's a great point. I'll just add one more amazing stat for you that people think trucking is an old, old world business and not as sexy as technology or tech. But look at a look at a stock chart of Old Dominion compared to Amazon both over the last five, six years, and even since 2002, well, you find is Old Dominion has actually outperformed Amazon over wow. those period of time. And so uh, Old Dominion just might be the new Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So I'm a Mahocha of Deutsche Bank checking in with us as he does every couple, a couple of times a year. 
to talk about the most recent earnings season. We want to thank him for joining us on Drilling Deep. And Amit is now based in Atlanta, where it's presumably warmer than it is in most of the country, right, Amit? 60 degrees. It's a little rainy here, but we're making the best of it. I take the rain, I I promise you. Anyway, we want to thank Amit. We want to thank you for tuning in to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from Freight Waves. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms. I've been your host, John Kingston. Please join us again. 